Hello, and welcome to Pursuit of Infinity, a podcast where we explore the depths of human consciousness and delve into the fascinating world of psychedelics. This week, we embark on a thought-provoking journey to examine the psychedelic movement in both its hindrances and the potential it holds for our collective future. It's an intricate web to navigate, but it's essential that in this time of psychedelic resurgence, we strive to foster a future where these substances are not only recognized, but integrated responsibly and ethically into our society. But before we get to it, for all things Pursuit of Infinity, visit our website, pursuitofinfinity.com, where you'll find all the links to the many places you can follow us. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to give us a follow or a sub, as well as a five-star rating and a review. These things have a huge impact on those pesky algorithms, and they really help us to expand our reach. You can also show us some support by heading over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash pursuit of infinity. And if you didn't know, we have a YouTube channel. All of our episodes are always posted there in video format, as well as an array of shorts that we have been putting together on a regular basis. Now, with all that out of the way, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this week's discussion. On, uh, on June 17th, there was this music festival. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Beyond Wonderland. Um, it's like an electronic music festival. And there was an incident. There was a shooting at this music festival. Uh, there was a couple that was engaged. They were both killed. And there was a few injuries as well. Um, and what really makes me bring this up, of course, it's like, super tragic when a shooting happens and someone dies or anyone gets hurt you know obviously that's the main the main focus of um of anyone's concern regarding a shooting but what makes this relevant to us is that apparently this guy who who unloaded on people it happened in like an overflow campground and he was an army guy. I guess his residence was stated as one of the army bases that were around the area. So he was like active military. And he just, I guess, openly just randomly started shooting people in this campground. And he told the police that he had taken psychedelic mushrooms and thought the world was going to end. So took out a firearm and started shooting people. Now, this brings up a few things that I think are necessary to talk about. One is set and setting, dude. Like, you should never be taking a psychedelic with a firearm in your vicinity. Can I ask a question about it quick? Yeah. So he's alive? They took him alive? Is that what you... Yes, he's alive. So he's, like, surrendered, I guess? Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. But you're right. Okay, yeah, you go ahead. It's set and setting. But I mean, yeah, dude, you should never be taking a psychedelic when you have a firearm around you. It's just, yeah, this is the the thing that is, it's going to make this movement crumble. It's like the same way that it happened in the 60s. The kids took advantage of a situation um, where they were uninformed. They were using the substances in a reckless way. And it seems that that's sort of what's happening now. You know, you look at all these people who just have like these chocolate bars with 
you know, amazing like illustrations and colorful graphics all over them. And they're just being touted as not a big deal. But these substances are a huge deal and need to be respected. Yeah, they're being treated as, treated as recreational. And like just the whole conversation we have in our culture around drugs as a whole is so like misguided and strange. And they just lump these powerful life-changing substances in with the umbrella term of drugs. But when you said that story, like I, I, the thing that struck me as kind of like ironic about it is, you know, like psilocybin used under the proper circumstances, the right set and setting is been found to be so beneficial for soldiers and stuff like who suffer from PTSD. It's like it shows the uh, the dichotomy of that. Like you got someone who takes it, thinks the world is ending. They take it in not the smartest setting with a gun around, just all does all the wrong things and ends up committing a horrible act. And then on the other side of that, you have soldiers who are suffering from PTSD who may have fallen down that road just in time through their mental health disorder, but they end up taking psilocybin in the proper way, in the proper setting with help, and it changes their life for the better and cures them. So it's like a little bit of irony there, I think. Yeah, and you hear people say that the set and setting is more important than the substance itself. And there was a point in time where I'd hear that and say, eh, yeah, okay, whatever. I understand why you're saying that, but in all honesty, like you need the substance. That's what the whole thing is about. But this is a circumstance where that is exemplified in my view. And I totally agree with that too. Like you said, it's more important than the substance itself. It's so powerful. Psilocybin is so powerful. And if it's, there is a chance you're going to have a challenging experience where you might believe, seriously believe that the world is ending or you're dying or something horrible is going to happen. And if you're in the wrong setting and have the wrong state of mind, that could just like spiral and you could, you know, fall into that and then act on it. Like, that's like what you said is like never have like a gun around. That's insane. I mean, see, that's the thing. People who think this is just a recreational substance these things are just like something to take lightly and you know enjoy yourself it's like it could go a totally different direction and it's not one of the you know substances that you could use and then convince yourself that it's just a substance like when you're deep in the throes of a you know a troubling trip you can't just be like oh it's just a drug i'm gonna be fine because what people don't realize is it's so powerful that it's not just a drug, you know, like you're truly experiencing it and there's no escaping. And that's the thing about them. They show you parts of reality that you don't want to see. Even if, you know, during the, the trip, say, you know, I'm not saying that it's something that has continuity with reality. It's the thing that you're seeing that might be horrible, but it's like often a reflection of yourself. And that's like where set or yeah, like your set comes into, into play. So it's like, you're not going to be able to convince yourself that it's just, you know, a drug because the experience and people describe it this way is often realer than real. And it's showing you aspects of yourself or reality as a whole that maybe you've never seen before. You're not open to handling. And so it could lead in many different horrible ways or amazing ways. So it's good to have, you know, people around you that know what this stuff is really about that can help you in those situations 
and be in a place where you're not with a bunch of strangers either. You know, you want to be somewhere where you're safe, that the possibility of picking up a gun isn't possible, or the possibility of any uh, anyone around you having a gun isn't possible. That should not be possible. And, um, you know, people, there's some people, there's videos online you can find of people um giving advice to newbies about psychedelics and like safety guides to how to use them. And one of the things that is like it's fundamental is if you do have firearms, just lock them up or put them somewhere or have somebody like a trip sitter or somebody who is, you know, going to put them somewhere where you won't have access to them. And that's just like the a basic thing, you know, same with like any type of weapon that you might be able to hurt yourself or others with, you know, just, have them somewhere where you won't be able to access them. And, you know, that's something that you might overlook. You know, if say you're a gun owner and you have your gun in your drawer and you're like just not even thinking about it. I mean, you never know if you're not experienced. And who knows, even if you are, you never know where the the trip could go. I've never had, you know, an experience like that, but I could I could imagine how that happens. It doesn't necessarily surprise me. Yeah, the thing is, if you're going to be ingesting a substance that can potential that type of experience, then you have to be doing it within a container where space is held for that type of extreme experience. Like you said, being with someone who understands the terrain, being with a person who is guiding you or there at, for the purpose of trip-sitting you. Because it's tough, man. When you have an experience like that, it feels real. And it is real because it's happening to you in reality, which is what, what makes these substances so profound. And you have to have that container, you know, because the difference between having that container and not having that container is you killing someone potentially as a result of that experience or you having uh, the most profound healing experience of your life. Do you know uh, where this was? Do you know if, like, uh, it was in a state that has, like, legalization, like if it was, or decriminalization? It was uh, in Washington State. Okay, so I think that's actually, I think they just legalized a bunch of stuff. I know Oregon did, but I, I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. But um, the reason I ask is because, let's say, if, it, if they did or didn't, guess it doesn't matter, this will be used by uh, those who want to demonize the psychedelics and say, look what happens when you give people access to this. It's, uh, you know, it's horrible. So it'll be used by, you know, people who are totally against the use of this stuff. And like you said in the beginning, it seems like it's something that people that are for it aren't going to want to talk about. You know, they're going to pretend that it didn't happen and other people are going to, you know, push it to the forefront so they can use it as a poster child to be like, look, this can't happen. You know, it's these things make people go crazy. Um, but like, yeah, I think it, it should be talked about. But see, the, there's a good part of not this story, but that now you are seeing two sides of the story. Like I mentioned before, you're seeing articles written about how this stuff has helped so many people. So back in the past, there was none of that. You would only get one side of the story of how horrible things could, like psilocybin, LSD, how horrible this stuff could be. You're going to think you're turned into a 
carton of orange juice, you know, that, that was like a big one that people heard about. You're going to go crazy. Um, but now we can hear, you know, at least both sides of the story. And we shouldn't ignore this one either because I think things like this happen. It seems like this is what we were getting at. It, it fundamentally happens because of the lack of education around psychedelics and just, you know, drugs in general. Like we kind of, you know, as we grow up, we get educated slightly in school. Like we had like the D.A.R.E. program, just say no, that type of thing learning about drugs in, you know, middle school or whatever. And and we learn about it just very surface level. Just the umbrella term of drugs and how bad each of them are for you and that you can never touch them. And then we just move on and pretend that, like, that drugs aren't such a massive part of our culture and society, even though we try to, you know, brush it under the rug with a lot of, like, times you would you would think just by the way that, you know, you only learn a little bit about it growing up, but it's such a massive part of our culture. Like, you know, you have like the fentanyl crisis right now. You have people from fentanyl crisis to caffeine. People are, are going to be taking substances and it's, it's just massive in our culture. And I think it's a conversation that needs to be had like a, a deeper education on this stuff. And, you know, psychedelics should not be lumped in with things like fentanyl or, you know, alcohol for that matter, anything. It's just, there needs to be a uh, a deeper education on this stuff. And a switch in language, a switch in vernacular, because we use that word drugs, and it's supposed to be this umbrella statement for anything that alters human consciousness. But to me, it doesn't serve any purpose because you're not actually describing any of the substances or what they do. You're not going beneath the surface level and trying to understand different classes of drugs. You're just saying drugs. And that's what our education was based off of, that notion of everything is a drug, everything should be avoided unless your doctor says it's okay. And that's another big problem with the way that we view drugs in this country, especially because our pharmaceutical industry is hell-bent on creating customers as opposed to helping people to get over ailments. So when that happens, you see a skewed perspective of what an ailment is, whether it be physical or psychological, and then you get a skewed perspective of what it means to fix that or what it means to help it, especially in the world of psychology, because there's this chemical imbalance theory. And I'm, I apologize for anybody that this might offend or trigger, but the fact of the matter is the chemical imbalance hypothesis has never been substantiated by any amount of peer-reviewed science. It's never been proven. It's not real. Look it up. The chemical imbalance theory or hypothesis, not correct. And that is the way that we go about thinking about our mental health is that if I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling upset about something, then my chemical balance in my brain is off. Oh no, I have to replace that chemical imbalance with a new chemical. I have to introduce a new chemical, which I have to take every single day. And that new chemical, that might actually exacerbate the feelings that I'm trying to fix with the chemical. So then I have to add another one onto it, and that one might even make it worse. And then I have to add a third one potentially. And as you see, you're just, you're compounding medication upon medication. And what you're doing when you even introduce one medication is you're actually introducing a chemical imbalance. You're not fixing one, you're introducing one. 
and it's I'm glad that you brought that up because like the the chemical imbalance hypothesis is it's just it's kind of I would bet if you asked your average person they would just accept that as the truth. It's kind of that theory's been perpetuated so deeply that it's pretty much taken as fact that you know but there was this um this experiment that was done where this they were going to send people to a job interview and they what they would do is put uh like makeup on their face like crazy scars on their face to make them look like physically disformed like their face would have a massive scar and they were going to send these people into the job interview and they were going to tell them if they were like discriminated against or like how they were treated how people with uh you know, disformities might be treated differently. So they put the makeup on their face and they put like this disgusting scar. And before they send them into the interview, they say, oh, hold on, come here. I want to touch it up first before you go in. And what they did was they actually removed the scar and sent them into the interview anyway. And they went through with the interview just their normal self, thinking they had the scar on their face when they actually didn't. And when they came out of the interview... They reported being discriminated against. They would even say, like, um, they would even give, like, a specific line that the person said, like, that triggered them that was calling out their scar. So it just shows, like, if you tell someone that they're depressed or they have a chemical imbalance, like, it almost becomes a reality, and they, they continuously, then they look for that, and it reaffirms that in their mind, and then it, it just uh, kind of snowballs. It goes to show how effective the mind is in terms of like the the stuff that manifests physically. And that's something that we're not told. Um, because if we were properly educated on that fact, then I think we wouldn't fall for the pharmaceutical industry's notion that we need to correct the chemical imbalance as easily. And... Also with that, the, because we were, you know, talking just a minute ago about the term drugs and I, with the pharmaceutical industry, it's interesting that drugs, that term has a negative connotation. And like you said, it's such an umbrella term that it even falls into whatever, you know, pharmaceutical you're going to take to. That's still a drug, even like, a, um, you know, an antidepressant, whatever. It's still a drug. But it's like a trick of the language there, too, because... You don't, unless it's like something that gets you high, it's not called a drug. Like on the commercials, they're not selling you drugs. It's like a medication or a medicine. So on the one side, on the pharmaceutical end, in that industry, they're marketed as medicine or medication or, you know, something. It, it's, they don't call it a drug. And it's funny that the word drug is just demonized from when we're young and it's only used with not things that are worse for you, but things that are just illegal, banned, you know, culturally not okay. Because I, I could argue that um, many prescriptions, medications, medicines, you could, not real medicines, but basically prescriptions and medications that are handed out by the pharmaceutical industry are actually worse for you than some of, you know, what we call drugs, the illegal substances, the ones that are taboo, like psychedelics is the perfect example. But not to say, like, as you started with that story, it's not to say that the 
psychedelics are all sunshine, rainbows, unicorns. It's not, it's not either. It's wh whatever you make it, and that's why the set and setting is so important. But I totally agree with you how you said before that the the language probably should be changed in like the re-education of this type of stuff. Yeah, because instead of re-educating people on what psychedelics are, they're strictly putting a blanket statement that everything you've been taught is wrong. Okay, great. Tell me everything that I've been taught was wrong, but then don't replace it with what is actual reality. Don't replace it with a knowledge base that is going to inform you on how to use these substances and what to do with them. So you have people who willy-nilly just take these things and they think that everything's going to be okay. I don't know what the like what the the foundational belief is behind doing things that are risky so nonchalantly, but it seems like this next generation that's coming up is doing just that. And it really, again, I bring up these chocolates, man. Like they bother me. Yeah. This cosmic chocolate bar with the dosages on the back and the way that, that they describe the experience, it, it, it makes it sound like there's no way you're going to have a negative experience. And there's yeah. nothing in your consciousness that can come up that's negative. It's always uh, descriptions of external enjoyment. Like you're going to go and explore space or something. or You know what I mean? It, it's really, really troubling. To yeah, me. it's like take one to two pieces for a mild experience. Slight euphoria with creativity. Take two to six pieces and feel stoned, basically, or whatever. And then it's like, when it's talking about a true dose, like, take the whole bar. It's like, and you'll be in space, man. You'll go to the cosmos. Like, it's just totally ridiculous. Like, it's, I, I have one if you want me to read it. So, yeah, 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 please, please do. Okay, so this one's actually, no, this one's regular. This one's just microdose one to two pieces, which that's still incorrect. One to two pieces of this is more than a microdose. And then moderate dose, three to five pieces, megadose, six to ten pieces. The whole bar is an eighth, so it's ten pieces. But hold on, I have another. <laughs> I do remember you have one that's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. It still says one to two squares is a microdose, which is... Um, Technically not a microdose, but it says one to two squares micro, um, energetic, open-minded, open-minded, creative, uplifted mood. Okay, and that says mild dose, three to five squares, euphoric, relaxed, ponder, uplifted mood. Then a moderate dose, six to nine squares, grab a seat, impaired cognition, perception shift. <laughs> not very descriptive. Um, mega nine plus squares blast off. You are about to enter another reality. Pretty vague. I mean, this one isn't honestly the worst that I've seen, but it doesn't, you know, account for what's actually going to happen. If, if I gave that to somebody and they've never had a psychedelic before, and that's what they were looking forward to it, it, it's, it's pretty ridiculous actually. Yeah, it is dangerous in my opinion especially when we have a very touchy movement going on right now uh, a movement so touchy that there are battles going on within the movement did you see i i watched a video yesterday actually uh psychedelic science 2023 is going on right now and uh it was actually the closing speech i believe so it's probably not going on right now as we speak 
uh, Rick Doblin of MAPS did the closing speech. And during his speech, there was this like indigenous uh, representative of some sort of a movement that is sort of combating this uh, this part of the psychedelic renaissance that is appropriating culture and specifically with mescaline because peyote is really hard to come across. It takes a long time to grow it, a lot of resources. So a lot of the indigenous people, they want to keep that as a sacred plant. Um, so this woman, she was interrupting uh, Rick Doblin's speech, which is about MDMA, really. I mean, that's what he's mostly considered um, a pioneer of. They don't really concern themselves with mescaline too much, so I'm not sure if that was a, a well-placed protest. But Rick Doblin actually brought her up on stage and gave her the mic and said, okay, like, what do you need to say? Say what you have to say. And I mean, personally, I don't think she was like the, the best representative to have up because it's almost like she didn't expect that. And she went off the rails and just started like screaming and like yelling about how, you know, the white man is like fucking the whole thing up for everybody. And like, okay, good point. Potentially, you know, that's not a good point, but well, <laughs> it, it, it can be made. I get what you're saying. It, it can definitely be argued, uh, especially in terms of mescaline but go and, and, and peyote. But he did let her speak, which I thought was amazing. Um, but just brought that up because, I mean, there are there are battles going on within this this movement, too. So it's not a flawless thing. It's it's kind of sketch. But go figure that a person that's yelling and interrupting and protesting isn't going to be the best representative of their ideas because most people maybe they don't they haven't analyzed their own ideas enough and this is i think an issue that's repeating with this with this topic here i think like you said it's at a very touchy place and i think it can be and probably will be destroyed easily it's so touchy i think it can be destroyed fairly easily and I think one of the mistakes that we're seeing is it's the main parts of the movement are popping up in the same places that they popped up before. It's like the same strategy. Like it's popping up in San Francisco, which, I mean, it's basically like a fallen state at this point. Like it, San Francisco is not in good shape. There's a lot, I don't know if you're looking into what's happening there. But it's not the most appropriate place I think something this important should be represented in. California as a whole, not just yeah. San Francisco. But, but yeah. And then you're seeing it like the, in Oregon, like the uh, legalization of this stuff. It's happening in places where the people are not responsible enough to treat it accordingly. So I think that's why it's so touchy. You know, if this was, um, if it was being represented it i don't want to say more rural areas but more just less associated with big cities and because it's it seems that the places where it's become legal uh, those places are kind of falling apart or the place where it's more accepted and they're gonna you know they're gonna think it, it it the correlation is the causation basically they're gonna say you know well look in oregon they have, you know, legal mushrooms and this place is just chaos and it's not doing well economically. The mental health isn't good. You know, it's a lot of homeless, all this stuff. It's it. I think it's basically this, a similar mistake that happened the first time around. It's like it's being represented by um, kind of the wrong crowd, like kid, like young kids are taking it like, say, younger teenagers adults whatever they're the ones taking it and it, it's 
still being mostly looked at as recreationally recreational sorry in this culture um but it is nice that we have a serious look at it in the medical use but i still think that the the movement can be squashed and almost rightfully so it's like maybe we actually aren't culturally evolved enough for this yeah you see a lot of the same tendencies representing themselves in different ways but i think foundationally what is happening is sort of the same as in the 60s where you have a bunch of people who just aren't ready they're not they haven't been educated correctly um and it's not just about being educated on drugs it's about being educated in general it seems that i've noticed a few things about the youth and this applies to us when we were that age as well it seems that with each generation, the youth take longer and longer to become mature acting adults than their previous generation. You can see it now. These kids are, it's taking them longer to become mature than it took us. It took us longer to become mature than our parents. You know, I feel like our grandparents were like, you know, working eight hour days at five years old. They're so, they were so disciplined. and you see that drop off generation after generation after generation. And that wouldn't necessarily be too much of an issue to deal with, but our education system is just so broken that we're not training kids on how to become fully formed thinking adults. So when they get into situations where they have to actually disseminate what is real, what is good, you know, what decision am I going to make that's going to actually provide me with some fulfillment, progress, not hurt me or the people around me? They have no idea how to make that decision. And I believe that this is like the first time in generations, like many, that um, this the next generation of kids have like a lower intelligence than the ones before. Like for quite a while, we've been on an upward swing like the next generation would be have higher you know test scores just general intelligence and um this one has dropped um uh, which is interesting since you know you have the technology is probably part of it maybe the pandemic could have been a part of it keeping kids out of school for you know whatever i think this may have been the case for um for generations and we're just seeing it now but it it almost seems as if you know the youth the children are kind of being weaponized in a way which is something that i would say probably has happened in the past but i think it's one of those things that are increasing and it, it's happening more so you have like a generation coming up with you know lower i don't want to just generalize and say they're stupid but they're just a lot of lower test scores you know just generally less intelligent supposedly i mean who am i to say um and they with you know now they're going they're not going to be prepared for this type of thing like meaning psychedelics it's not you know it shouldn't be for kids at all like i'm not saying it's like i'm not talking about little kids i'm talking about you know teenagers even young adults um it i don't think it, it's it's for the audience that it's kind of being marketed to like you said there's really no reason it should be in chocolate form there's really no reason um if if you can't eat the mushrooms 
like then you're not serious enough about what's happening. You shouldn't have to be like, oh, I need it to be chocolate because it needs to taste good too. It's like that's completely counter to what this is about. It, it shouldn't be easy in any way. Um, making it easier isn't making it better for anybody. That is such a good point. Such a good point. And it almost applies, too, to marijuana and the chocolate and the candy and all that stuff, too. I, I'm really concerned with, like, the gummy bears and, you know what I mean? Like, this candy, it's it's geared toward kids. It's geared toward the youth. And they have, even now, I'm sure they probably had it for a while, but psilocybin gummies, too, we've seen now. Yeah, exactly. And the back of those packs are just the same as the chocolate ones. Oh, yeah, you know? I have yeah, that the, too. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. But, yeah, it makes you, you have to kind of question it why. I mean, how many grown adults do you know that, you know, chocolate is a little more, but how many, that makes a little more sense, but how many grown adults do you know that are just eating gummies? Like, it's not really, you know. Um, and then you see the same thing with even, you know, you're seeing it with fentanyl too. They're saying that it's like, they're making them in like little, make it look like candy, basically. I don't know. It's just pretty, it's disturbing. And I think it's, it's kind of being pushed in the wrong direction. Yeah. You know, I always say that like when you take a large dose of mushrooms, especially, it's difficult to eat a lot, especially to me, the more experienced you are with them, the harder it is to eat them. And if I were to have five grams of mushrooms in front of me, I would know that this is going to be a difficult thing to get down. It's going to take me a few minutes and I'm going to get them all down. I'm going to chew them all up. It's going to get, it's going to take a while though. But dude, if I have like say five of those chocolate bars stacked up and I'm stoned and I'm hungry and I'm like, Oh, I want to trip and I'm feeling, I'm feeling great. I'm on the top of the world. I got all the hubris. I'm feeling cocky. I don't know what the hell I'm getting myself into. I could eat like 20 grams of mushrooms in no time in chocolate form. And then that is, a, you're talking about a dangerous situation there. And like, like you said, like with, say you have a pile of five grams in front of you and you're eating it and it's kind of difficult. Like, and like you said, the more experience you have with it, the more difficult it can be. And I think that's because it's not, you know, you have, you know what you're doing while you're doing it. You're eating them and it's a lot. And you're like, you have to keep putting them down, and it's like you know what this is doing. And um, you have that, like, muscle memory of, you know, this is a serious thing that's happening. Whereas, like, with a chocolate, like you said, I could eat a whole chocolate bar, and, you know, it's just, like, tastes good. It, I'm not thinking about anything, you know? It's just, and I could see people doing that. And another thing is about the chocolate is, it's also like the packaging I have an issue with too because sometimes the packaging doesn't make it quite clear about what's in it. And um, like I have one that looked like it had mushrooms in it, but it's just uh, it's just marijuana in it. And like so somebody could be eating a chocolate bar and they might think that it's, you know, just weed or some of them have weed and mushrooms. Like so you could just – be eating chocolate and you're not like if you're eating dried mushrooms you know exactly what you're eating there's no you have to know what you're doing and you should be prepared for it and if you are experienced then you do you are you know mentally prepared if you're doing that you should be but you know it with chocolate bars it makes it very easy to eat a higher dose sometimes the doses are a little sketchy too i've noticed um sometimes you, you'll eat like 
it's just the doses sometimes are sketchy. I'll leave it at that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I haven't had much of an issue with it, but talking about it now and more lately, I do also have a bit of an issue with this aspect of, of, you know, the candy, the chocolate. And I think you could probably speak more on this than I could, but you were telling me before that it's not in a lot of the chocolates, it's not actually psilocybin. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, because there's a substance that's called 4-ACO-DMT, and it's very similar to mushrooms. You have essentially the exact experience that you would on psilocybin because psilocybin is very close to DMT. 4-ACO-DMT seems to be right in between those two. There's just like a different molecular structure to it, and it's easier to create in bulk or to buy in bulk because it's a research chemical. And if anybody knows anything about the research chemical world, you can buy very pure chemicals that are so close in structure to like LSD, DMT, psilocybin, but they're legal because they're not psilocybin, they're not DMT, but they're just so close and they give you the exact same experience. So you can imagine that any number of these substances could be bought and put into chocolate. When you get a psilocybe cubensis mushroom and you see that thing and you see that golden brown hued cap you know coming down you you know you take a look at this like fleshy white colored stem that fades itself into this dark blue color like you know what you're getting is a psilocybin mushroom you can't get a fentanyl mushroom you know you're not going to get a laced mushroom you know what you're eating so i i agree man i didn't have an issue in the beginning with it because to me it was like, oh my God, look how cool this is. It's happening. But now the more that I, I think about it and the more I think about these chocolates just getting into the hands of people who are uneducated and uninformed, it just, to me, it can cause problems because if it was, if I came up to you and I said to you, Joe, would you suggest the ability to give anybody an easily obtainable sweet sugary experience of eating something but like they're gonna have a psychedelic trip akin to a mushroom experience you would probably say like no that's the most ridiculous notion I've, I've ever heard yet this is the thing that's happening and the kids i think that most of them are consuming psilocybin through chocolate as opposed to actual mushrooms right that's yeah actually what i was just gonna say i mean i can't be sure, but I'm pretty sure. And anecdotally, like through my experience, I've talked to a few people um, recently who have tried psilocybin for the first time. And actually, each of them uh, only had the chocolate. They didn't ever eat. They have never actually eaten a mushroom. So I think you're right. And it seems like more people now are having the psilocybin experience without ever eating or seeing a mushroom. It's more frequently being uh, distributed as chocolate. So, and yeah, you're right. The, the, having a sweet chocolatey treat isn't, you know, it doesn't align with the experience of eating, you know, the actual mushroom. Um, and I wanted to touch on this too, because you mentioned the research chemical thing, which... Um, is just really fascinating in itself. And I think the the whole research chemical thing is 
adding a it's fuel to the fire with our drug crisis we're dealing with now because like for people that don't know research chemicals are often are made in china and they can make things basically fentanyl or any drug that you would want and what they do is they tweak one molecule basically so it becomes legal then it's like well it's not fentanyl because see this molecule is different it's technically not illegal then and so what people can do, and I know I met someone in rehab that was doing this, you could buy with, at this time, I think he was using like Bitcoin or something, you know, whatever untraceable money, PayPal, I think too, people would do this. They would buy giant bags of this, um, of these substances for like a fraction, like a tiny fraction of the price it is on the street. And he would buy, like, this speed stuff that would, like, keep him up for days. And, like, this is, you know, someone I met in rehab, so he clearly had a big problem. But he was telling me about this stuff, and it is terrifying. And, like, you get, these people would get massive amounts of these, like, very, very powerful substances. Like, pure, out-of-the-lab substances that, like, you, a tiny, tiny bit of it could kill you if it's, like, this fentanyl-type stuff. And what you see now um, is, you know, drug dealers, you know, just the illegal market of drugs. People are buying giant bags of these research chemicals and then selling them as heroin, coke, whatever, whatever it may be. And I would bet most of the time that you, that people are buying heroin, any of this stuff, that they're actually getting a research chemical. And it's so powerful that it it kills so many people. And on top of that. It's like it, it. drug dealers are incentivized to buy this stuff because it's so cheap. Like, I'm telling you, like, a thousand times cheaper than the actual uh, drug itself. And it's something that I, I think is just fueling this fire. And it's pretty scary. I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, man. And, you know, the the initial ignition of this fire you're speaking of is the war on drugs, man. The fact that we have this this insane policy about about drugs in our country allows for cartels to come in. It allows for the for research chemicals to fill the void uh, and give people access to these things on a large scale that they should have access to anyway under a regulated system that's responsibly implemented throughout the country. But we don't have that here, unfortunately. The war on drugs is ridiculous. It's kind of even silly when you think about it because it clearly doesn't work. Um, it's, it's clearly, you know, created a lot of, you know, like you mentioned, cartel violence, um, a lot of death from overdoses. And I would argue that the war on drugs actually has done that as far as like overdoses, because we are so undereducated on these substances. And like with the research chemicals, people are getting things that they have no way of knowing what they are, what the dose is. So it's silly to just try to make these things illegal because, we know that people are going to do this stuff anyway. We know this. Like, it's not like, oh, well, maybe you make it illegal and, you know, nobody will touch it. Even And then also, we're even going to indoctrinate the kids and sh tell them how evil it is. It's going to be illegal. It's going to be evil. It's going to kill you. It's going to ruin your life. And yet, we have a crisis. People are still doing this stuff anyway. Um, I think it, we're, we went in the totally wrong direction with this i mean it's kind of you know it seems a little extreme to just say legalize all drugs 
And I think that is a bit extreme right now. But if there was proper education behind that, it wouldn't seem so extreme. If, you know, let's say, you know, heroin, let's say that was people were as educated on heroin as they were with alcohol. And it was advertised and packaged in certain dose amounts. So you would, you know, five heroines would get you a mild high, whatever. And like they would, you know, market it in a way that's like, okay, five beers is going to get me a buzz. So people know that if they do 10, it will kill you. Like same, even with like, you know, I think alcohol is the best example. If we were as accustomed and educated about that and also deeply educated on, you know, how this stuff does destroy lives, how it is extremely addicting. And, um, you know, I think you would at the very least see a lot more overdoses because the thing that... A lot less. Or sorry, yeah, a lot less overdoses. The thing that um, people don't talk about, it's like these overdoses, they are accidental overdoses. Like these people weren't trying to die. Um, They were just trying to get the right high. Like they were trying and, you know, maybe you could argue it's better that they get off the drugs. And I would say that's true almost all the time. But they weren't trying to die. If they knew the dosage, if it was if there was more education, then we would at least have people not dying. And I think that's at least a start. You know, there's like thousands and thousands of overdose deaths. It's it's and not to mention, you know. That's a lot of that them are addicts, but a lot of them are people who aren't addicts and they just try a drug or they take a pill thinking it's a Xanax bar and it's actually uh, fentanyl or probably not fentanyl, just a research chemical very similar to fentanyl. And then, you you know, it's this uh, war on drugs has spun out of control and like you're seeing it right now, especially with the whole fentanyl crisis. And it's kind of one of the biggest things that's happening in America right now, and it's not really talked about that much. At least you're not hearing too many solutions put forth, and I don't think it's being, um, it's not being put to the forefront, or not people aren't being very honest about it. How big of an issue it really is. I mean, I know, I know a, a, a many people who have died of overdoses. Like, that's insane. It shouldn't, it, that shouldn't be the way. And they were all accidental, you know. Nobody, you know, was committing suicide with drugs. They just were using drugs and took too much. Mostly, most of the time, it would be that they didn't really know what they were taking. Yeah, man, it's sad. You ask anybody in the world or in this country around where we are, you can pretty much get the answer of, yes, I know someone, at least one person, you know, who's died of an overdose. And I think one of the biggest pitfalls of this whole war on drugs and reforming it to a more responsible uh, method of dealing with it is you have to, it's really hard for people to see themselves as someone who supports a policy that allows people to do whatever drug they want. It's hard to, to square those two things because we have been brought up in such a culture that tells us these are so bad. These drugs are so terrible. You take it one time, you're hooked, you're going to die. You know what I mean? Like the, the messaging is so extreme to one side that people can't imagine themselves supporting a policy that would allow people to do drugs legally. 
I think that's a really far stretch for most people because they have a very conservative idea of what drugs are. But to me, the only methods that would work to fix these things would actually allow people to legally consume drugs and actually maybe go someplace where they can be administered the drug in a safe and clean way. That's another thing. People have a really hard time accepting those, uh, what do they call them, um, safe injection sites and things like that. Yeah. But we have to reform the way we think about what a drug is in order to like foundationally change how we go about fixing this crazy problem we have here. Yeah, I totally agree. And I would say that, you know, it it is like uh, paradoxical in a way because, you know, you won't think that giving people access to something is the right thing to do. You got to take it away. And we've tried that and it doesn't work. And you mentioned that it, it a lot of people can't see themselves like uh, pushing for a policy that legalizes all drugs. And I agree that it is, it does seem and is very extreme. Um, and I think, I don't know if that alone would, I'm not saying you said this either, but I don't think that alone would solve the problem and it may make it worse. And I think what has to happen then, if, if you know, I was king of the world, there needs to be a, a whole paradigm shift, like a re-indoctrination on, on drugs as a whole and even a change of language and i think you would have to spend a generation or maybe even two with and just an entire re-education of uh of all different kinds of substances um and a detailed like uh detailed experience of what's going to happen if you take them the doses the dose of each of them you know it has to be uh it has to be intensive has to be like a, a serious re-education and we would have to kind of weed out, you know, all the stigma that we have associated with all this stuff currently. And I think after a couple generations, then you slowly begin like decriminalizing, you know, a slow release of the stuff, not just suddenly one day it's legal, nobody has any re-education. I think if you, you know, re educate people and indoctrinate them in a whole different way of thinking about their consciousness and how they can alter it, then you allow an educated population, a more conscious population, to use this stuff. I think that would be the move if people were actually looking for a solution. It might not be, you know, a quick fix that's going to happen in 10 years, but I think it could happen and it, we would have a higher evolved society in that way. And, of course, you're never going to get rid of the issues with drugs. I'm not saying don't teach people how bad they can be, but you have to teach uh, more the nuances of it. And, you know, don't advertise it for people. I mean, and people aren't stupid. Most people don't do heroin because they see people who have done heroin and are doing heroin, and often they are strung out and homeless or, you know. So people are smart. Um but yeah, that's pretty much what I think would be an actual way to begin solving the issue. I want to pick out just a little tiny piece of what you said. One of the things you said was if they actually want a solution. And that to me is a pretty good question. Do you think they really want a solution? Because a solution would mean 
that the pharmaceutical industry would have to repackage their entire uh, like corporate strategy. And it doesn't seem like ending the war on drugs would be beneficial to big business. And to me, that runs the world and that runs policies. So I don't think that the people who are in power really want this problem to go away. They want to talk like they do because it sounds good, but I really don't think they do. Yeah, I think that is absolutely true. They don't want it to change. And I think that, you know, the powers that be, they could change a lot of things. And a lot of things that are hurting, you know, the little people, us little peons at the bottom, actually just benefits the people above. So there's no incentive to actually change it in a meaningful way. Um, and even like with, with drugs specifically, I, I've, there are, uh, aspects of like the cartels that are supposedly funded are like they're connected with like black programs in the United States like um that we are actually getting drug money to fund some of our you know black off the books type of stuff like the weird shit that the US government does that isn't under congressional oversight so i think that the the war on drugs is beneficial honestly to a, a great number of people that are you know just at a certain echelon of society yeah it's a fundamentally poisoned problem you know we have a we have a really sick nation and you know if you if you if you zoom in on any one problem too much you just have to say like what the fuck man like cuz everything is messed up everything you know you you can just look at like the oceans as one one problem and you can go deep into that and realize how fucked up all that is the you know the the pollution the the poverty the constant perpetual wars like there's just so much the food the, the food there, there's so many things so many aspects about the western world that are so sick and so flawed that it's like man where do you begin and yeah it's really disturbing and it's like not to be like black pill everyone here and you know be all doom and gloom but it it really is it's um it's so disturbing and and like you said in every aspect but like the upside of this is that you know human beings are so amazing like we are amazing and these things can be solved and it doesn't seem like any of this will be solved top down you know i think it, it the only way this stuff solves or sorts itself out is like a bottom up movement. You know, the the peasants have to rise up. We have to want it. We have to see the flaws in the system and start making decisions so it changes. And it is interesting, I think at this point more people now than ever are seeing through the cracks. I mean, it's so in our face now that we are seeing how corrupt everything is how you know it's just like a lot of this is just poison you know it's poison of the mind and body you know the food the entertainment the technology it's like people are seeing it and there is uh, movements happening right now of people who are beginning to change themselves and i think sometimes maybe we have to be pushed so far and in order to actually change and I think it's it's a big thing that we have to do is 
change on an individual basis. Like you have to be fed up with it enough and say, look, I'm going to change myself because nobody's going to do it for me. The world isn't going to change for me, but I can change. And the thing about the Western world is, although you zoom into anything and there's a million problems with it, at least for the moment, we still have enough freedom to make personal decisions that can change. I mean, you can eat better. You can exercise. You can limit your use of technology. And you can stop watching the garbage that's being fed to you. You can do all this stuff. And it's just you're fighting a battle because everything being thrown at you, you have to block and, you know, you have to fight off because the society is trying to get you to eat bad, use technology, you know, treat people in a certain way, fight with your neighbor, divide and conquer techniques. All that stuff is happening. So you have to have strong will, but it can be done. And that's kind of, you know, what I try to do. And that's why I can speak about this because I know how hard it is because, you know, it's not easy to even just simply eat well. That can be hard. And But I think that's where it starts. Eat well, exercise, and you start to get your mind right. And then once your mind is right, psychedelics. And then uh, I love the Jordan Peterson line of like, uh, before you try to change the world, clean your room, you know, clean your area, do what you have to do, maintain yourself as a responsible adult. And like you said, it's really difficult to do that in this day and age because we're not taught how to do that. We're taught how to obey. And we're also taught how to like fit into the groove that is of least resistance that uh jordan peterson quote is fantastic because what you see is a lot of people trying to change the world first without changing themselves and it's easier to do that it's easier to just pretend that you're fighting a large movement when you you know don't even clean your room or you're not you know well yourself like if and the, like that's what i was kind of saying about a bottom up movement if everybody got their household together, then you're a powerful, strong force that can, you know, move up to the next level and then take on that issue. But if you have a lot of people fighting amongst themselves, not healthy, not thinking right, aggravated, just like not stoic at all, not thinking, then, you know, they're going to try to fight for a larger issue, but they are not strong enough, smart enough to actually make a dent because like you said, there are so many battles that need to be fought right now in Western culture. It's like, and there are some very powerful forces that are behind all this, you know, negativity. And it's going to take strong opposition, us the people, to actually even begin making a dent in some of this stuff. Yeah, man. What do you do when you when you build a house? The first thing you do is you you dig into the ground, you dig into the dirt, and you extract all the bullshit from the from the dirt, all the all the roots and all the crap that's gonna stand in your way. You dig that shit all out, get rid of all of it, make this beautiful, clean area where your house is gonna be built on. Then you pour the strongest material that we know of as that foundation, you know, this concrete foundation. It's strong. You build that foundation. And without that foundation, your house, if you built it on a foundation of sticks and stones, that shit would wobble and break and, and be destroyed within the first you know, few months, few weeks. Because the first storm that came through, the first opposition would blow you over. 
Yeah, I think you see a lot of that. There is a blueprint, though. There is, you know, things that can be done. And I think that a lot of people right now feel powerless because we're, in, as individuals, we are so small. And all these issues that you mentioned before, like the food, the pharmaceutical industry, homelessness, all of this stuff, it seems so big. And like, as an individual, we can't touch it. Even, you know, the political stuff happening in America right now, it's just two sides fighting against each other. And see, like, a lot of people know that that is by design and still fall into it. But it is absolutely by design. And it, like I said, as individuals, we feel powerless. But the, the truth of the matter is that there is all the power is in the people. All of it. Um, if 100% of the country wanted something to happen, it would happen overnight. The people are powerless now because it, we are... It's orchestrated that that each side is exactly basically 50-50 and on opposition with every in, with every uh issue. And a little while ago I you know I came to the realization that that is not coincidence. There's it is completely designed in that way. Is it and people are just so tribal, we're so likely to just fall into a group that it's like it's not a coincidence that if you have one democratic view that you hold mostly all other democratic views and vice versa and you know it's not actually easy to to pull yourself out of one of those groups but the thing is if if everybody could you know kind of come together and fight for you know one issue then the the change would actually happen see the thing is as as like humans in America we do basically want all the same things we want you know our families to be safe we want you know to be healthy you know just the basic stuff we want shelter we don't want to be homeless we all want the same things but it's designed that we all want to achieve them through different ways they're like opposite ways to reach the same goals and you know if if we should just really latch ourselves to the fact that we do all actually want the same things and I think just to bring it back a little bit to the psychedelic part, it, it for me, using psychedelics made me understand some of this stuff at a little bit of a deeper level. Like it, you often, a lot of people who use psychedelics have the experience of like a unity or love, like a oneness with your neighbor, compassion, empathy. All this stuff hits you in a way that is, it's like you just, it's indescribable. You know, the state of consciousness that you can find yourself in through a deep psychedelic experience will really change your life. It's, it, it's not a coincidence that, you know, thousands upon thousands of people have changed their ways and their, their uh, ways of thinking, behaving through these experiences. Uh, and since, you know, I've done psychedelics, I feel a lot more compassionate and uh, empathetic towards others. I Now I start to fall outside of such distinct tribal lines. You know, I I try to just be me and that's it rather than trying to align with the group and shout their mantra. Yeah, something that's really valuable about that experience of unicity and oneness that the psychedelics can offer you is the willingness to compromise. 
because if you look at the dichotomous sides of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, you know, we'll say for, for political things, they refuse to compromise on anything. It's either you have all of the boxes checked or you're not on our side, you know? And I think that it's really important for us to understand that we have to come together and compromise on some things. Like maybe you guys get this issue and then we get that issue. Or maybe we both come to an understanding of an issue that satisfies both sides. You know, we have one political federal system for a country with so many different types of lifestyles and cultures, which is why like state governments are a great thing to have. But we still need to come together in a way that is bipartisan and void of this motivation to just fight. Because that's what it is. It's just fight the other side. If only they would go away, the world would be a better place. And that could not be farther from the truth. And the sad thing is, um, often it takes an extremely traumatic experience for any type of unity to happen at in a population like in America, like you saw with 9-11 was a, a good example of that. Like after 9-11, everybody was American. It's not about right, left, you know, red, blue. Everyone was flying the flag. People were, it, it's interesting. People were like, you know, being more communal. They were helping each other. There was a, a unity. And it's sad that for that to be realized, it seems that there has to be a traumatic experience. And, you know, maybe you just people need to take a psychedelic and have an inner traumatic experience and then bring that external through their behaviors. And I think that is kind of what happens with the psychedelic. If you're going to have a true mystical experience, it will be uh, traumatic because often that entails what is called, you know, ego death, which is letting go of everything that you've ever identified with or have been attached to. And that is traumatic. But when you make, make it through a traumatic experience, you come out on the other end reborn and changed. And it, it's just a shame if, as a people, we're going to have to go through something horrible for that, you know, that large change to happen where it is possible to go through that inner experience and then make the change in a positive way. Yeah, these substances have the ability to to give us the experience of that of that trauma internally so that we don't have to experience it externally because we can fix it before it gets to that point. It's like it reminds me of video games how people say that uh if you play violent video games you're more like likely to go shoot people or something in real life, but actual studies have shown that if you play a shooting video game, you are less likely to go out and do that in real life because even if you do have those tendencies, you're, you're getting that stuff out of your system via the, ex, uh, the, the internal experience you're getting from the, from the video game. Yeah, Whereas yeah. You're, you're, more, you're less likely to go out and actually perform that act in real life. And I mean, that, that goes for the small percentage of people that actually would go do that. But it's kind of the same deal. It's like you... You go through the experience. Maybe you do have an experience on mushrooms where you feel like the world is coming to an end, but you go through that experience in a way that the mushroom trip allows itself to conclude 
wrap itself in a nice little bow and teach you the lessons that it needs to teach you so that you don't go out and go crazy and go ham on the world. Yeah, I think the pretty much for me, the most powerful, one of the most powerful experiences of a psychedelic is um, what it teaches you about the identification of the self and the ego, the nature of it all. And it'll show you, it can show you what you truly are. And that can be a true paradigm shift in your entire way of experiencing reality. And also another thing I was thinking about that uh, a psychedelic movement could do, I'm kind of just thinking of uh, my utopia, basically, but I think psychedelics could really change humanity in a way it could create a spark of curiosity and and ingenuity. Like, I could see a world where, you know, this stuff could really change the way we behave in a way where we could live curiously again, where we could treat life as the mystery it is and live it in a way where we are more creative and unified. I am I just I see humanity as like the greatest ball of potential ever. Like we can do so many amazing things. And then through a psychedelic experience, it even expands that dramatically, like in a way that I never thought possible. It's like we wow, we can do all this amazing stuff and we can experience that. And if, if those things could align like the psychedelic experience with the human experience, I feel like we are basically unlimited in what we, we can create and a society that we could build. I mean, we are intelligent enough to live in basically any way we want. We can live in a way that, you know, as we're living now, where life is in certain ways too easy and in other ways too hard. And, you know, we're kind of suffering in a lot of different areas. But, you know, you could live in a, a dramatically different way where, you know, you create your own hardships. So you have, you know, uh, if you create your own hardship, then you don't have to find it somewhere unexpectedly and not be prepared. So, I mean, I think uh, we could take notes from a lot of, like, the indigenous cultures or, like, you know, people, tribal people in the Amazon who, you know, they work in their small community, they have ritualistic psychedelic experiences. I think that that's something we could take a page from and and integrate that with some of the things that we're doing now. Because in the West, we have gotten a lot of things right. I'm not saying it's all bad. I think it's just kind of turned a dark page in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that's like the universal cosmic wink is that it's like you guys have the potential to do all of this amazing stuff. You guys have the potential to transform the entire world and beyond. Yet you're shackled by your separateness. You're shackled by your preferences, by your emotions, by all of these things you have to manage. Um, and that makes it really, really difficult. It makes it take generations and generations. And something you brought up that I think really helps to to fix some of these problems or to prevent them are rites of passage. You said that these indigenous cultures, they have these psychedelic experiences and they become part of the tribe and they become considered an adult. We don't have anything remotely close to a rite of passage in the Western culture that we're 
being brought up in. I think that's a really big problem because it essentially allows young people to pass through the threshold of adulthood without becoming an adult. And then we have a bunch of kids running around, a bunch of old children running around, running the world and controlling what we do. And I mean, you just have to just look at a playground, you know? And you can envision the whole world as a playground. You've got one kid over here, they're China, another kid over here, they're Russia, one kid down here, they're, they're the United States. And you see them conduct their territorial, uh, like primate activities with one another. And that's what you see at a large scale in the world. We have a bunch of people who essentially, in my view, have the maturity levels of children, even though they're given the keys to, to the, the planet via uh, resources and wealth. And they're enacting their violent tendencies on one another actively throughout the world every day. And we are capable of so much, as you said, man. We're capable of such beauty in this world. But it again, you know, we we allow our weaknesses, our our preferences, our separateness from each other to shackle us. And because, you know, at this point in, you know, in human history and human evolution, um we are at a point where survival doesn't have to be an issue that everybody we have the technology to allow everyone to survive at least fairly well people you know don't have to be starving or dying of thirst or have zero shelter we are enough to create a at some sort of stable well-being for everyone and i could i just imagine a world where everything wasn't that serious. Because once your survival needs are met, it's not, it doesn't have to be so serious. And that's when you can play. And adults should be able to play in a, in a very specific way, though, you know? And that's what I was getting at before. Like, we should be living through curiosity and love and mystery because that's what's really going on. But people are, like you said, shackled to their survival and it, it, there is such seriousness there are wars you know there's all this intense stuff happening that doesn't allow us to like truly express the human being as i think it can be and i think if you know we we somehow in my utopia got everybody's survival needs met and found a way to express like truly express what a human being is, I could imagine a world just endless possibilities of beauty. But there's so much seriousness going on. I think part of that has to do with what you're saying. Like a lot, we have some uh, grown children running things. Um, we often think about like the high elite that are, you know, funding wars and doing this stuff. Like, like they are somehow above us in their like intelligence. Like they're brilliantly doing all this stuff but they're they are not evolved in a way like in a, a very serious way in the only way that matters if we had enlightened leaders they would understand what we're saying in a, in a higher fashion and there wouldn't be this type of violence being perpetuated you know and i i just want to ask you a question too because this was something i was thinking about um do you think that human beings are naturally 
good. I think that human beings are naturally good. Yeah. I because I think that there's there's two aspects of this question I think that are important to analyze. The one is our natural evolutionary tendency toward violence and toward territorial living and all that stuff, which comes from our biology that's informed by evolution, informed by our biology, all that stuff. But I think that what drives biology, what drives evolution is consciousness, the evolution of consciousness. And what consciousness is to me at its fundamental core seems to exude this like capital L love type of thing. That's the only way that I can sort of materialize it into this duality that we call life. And I think that because we're driven by that thing, we're, we're driven by that ultimate unicity and that ultimate love with our, within our hearts, I think we are ultimately good and that we are living through a point in evolution just like any other point in evolution where we're trying to realize that ultimate good and you have a lot of different people with a lot of different ideologies pointing at it, but we're just not there yet. We're just, we're on the path to it. Okay. Yeah. Cause like I kind of, I agree with what you said in a way, but maybe I wasn't specific enough with the question because I do agree with part of that. But my answer was, I, I thought um, that human beings are not naturally good because when left to our own devices, we are very cruel, it seems. I think that what you're talking about there, it's like humans have the potential for good, and in, in reality itself, its true nature is good, That what you're talking about, that higher consciousness connection. But I don't think naturally that is the human state. I think that we have to be taught good and work for good. It's like a, a conscious action. It's like a, a conscious pursuit where I think human beings can basically be left to their own devices and be what, you know, basically bad, violent, whatever, you know, just not the best. But I think that human beings are so malleable that, and we do have that, we are conscious, we have that connection to the ultimate good, that which is true, like reality itself is ultimately good. It is good. It's absolute. That is the truest thing there is in reality is what we consider good. It's that feeling, you know, you don't have to attach words to it. There are reasons why we have certain emotions and conscious states attached to what we call good. Um, but I think, you know, uh, that we could have a better world if we were basically just trained in, in a proper way. I mean, a lot of people, I think, are, aren't taught about good in the proper way. So that's why they are, they kind of fall into their natural human primal state and left to their own vices and, you know, start behaving in ways that aren't, you know, beneficial to everybody else and, you know, that kind of thing. I think that uh, it's, it's got to, there's got to be some type of, and this is honestly where psychedelics work really well, to teach someone about that higher good. I don't think we are naturally just instantly, like, kind of connected to it. I think it takes, like, a conscious effort or uh, a teaching, something like that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. But I, I think the the vices, the preferences, the the 
dark, dirty, evil shit. I feel like that's it's part of the groove, man. It's part of the dance. You know, it's it's uh it feels like we are manifestations biologically of God or love or whatever that thing is. We'll so we'll we'll call it ultimate good in this in this circumstance that is inhabiting incarnations in order to discover or rediscover itself. And if we're on a mission as the ultimate good to rediscover the ultimate good, it just feels to me like the entire motivation of the groove and of the dance is to work your way toward challenges in order to realize your ultimate good. And to me, like those, those challenges, those, those vices, they're not definitive of the driving force of evolution or life. To me, they're, they're like the physical manifestations of the challenges that we must overcome in order to realize our ultimate good that drives everything and everyone. Because ultimately, I do believe that we're all the same thing. We're all in this unity, in this unity that presents itself as a yin-yang type duality. And the only thing that exists truly is that ultimate good. Right. Okay. So I do agree with that partially because I'm like you said, we're just in that groove. It's just like a part of the dance. And I agree that by I'm talking about good on a relative human scale, what, you know, just the relative idea of good in a sense where not the absolute good that is driving everything that is ultimately the foundation of everything in that way that we are we are good and we are always good and always on a mission of higher good in that type of sense more of i think that a society isn't ever going to be naturally good because because i don't think people are naturally good i think there has to be a manual like for the western culture we we had a manual the Bible or all these uh, Judeo-Christian values that were coming from a spiritual place that is true and good. Um, but I don't, I think that we have to be basically indoctrinated and then, you know, you can find the absolute true good that is, you know, within all of us that is, that surpasses any type of text or uh, teaching or indoctrination, something that's far beyond that, that does naturally exist within us. But I, I believe that there has to be um, a method or a teaching, something that kind of goes top down to structure a society and have what we call good. I I think you're 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 describing like a path or the path, but I do think that as you said earlier in the conversation, you know, we all kind of want the same thing. You know, like we all want to be happy. We all want to be loved. We all want to have relationships, be fed. We all want to, we all want good. That's what everybody wants. It's just the, the muck that we have to wade through that uh, holds us back and uh, changes our direction to, you know, maybe exemplify negativity. But I don't think that pain, anger, all of these negative emotions they don't seem sustainable to me, both physically and like projected toward like a system. You know, if you're say you're on a psychedelic and you're feeling fear, uh, that is impermanent. 
the that the fear is not something that you can put your hand on and say like this is this is fear and this is what it is like it it sort of goes away it doesn't last um and i i think that a lot of these these negative emotions negative motivations it's almost like they again they're, they're challenges to overcome as opposed to what our true nature is i agree but i think that there's a reason why we even think this way. And I think it was the instruction manual we were given. So what I'm getting at is with human beings being naturally good, and I think this is another misconception that we kind of romanticize about like children, that they are just, um, that they are good. And that's the thing. I think that if you leave a child to their own devices and if you just, you don't parent them or give them an instruction manual, I think that they are savages and I think that human beings are savages without the, uh, like, I guess, instruction manual. I think it naturally, I mean, the argument is strange with the question is that there's nothing unnatural technically. I mean, everything is natural. It's, but, um, you get the question. I think that like if, uh, you took a group of 10,000 people and put them on an island and you know gave them no instruction manual it would probably devolve into chaos and i think you would see of course there would be examples of good i think family is a crucial part of it um people are going to have that natural connection and goodness often to their family not always but i think the way we think the way that we were raised and indoctrinated there are good parts about that too we got that judeo-christian uh, idea of what is good because good without a deep spiritual connection to it or a, an experience beyond the normal human state of consciousness good can be very relative you know you could see that in different societies people value other things as good than we do here but i think that that humans probably need an instruction manual or they need to be taught good and then you can find the ultimate good, the true good, the one that exists uh, beyond, you know, any indoctrination or teaching. Well, think about it. I think you just almost said it, is that we do all have different definitions of good, you know? So we can't nail down a definition of good, but we can say that everybody around the world that has these different definitions of good, their definition of good is still what their highest priority is it's still what they want it's still deep down what they what they strive for so even if we can't nail down what good means everybody i do feel like innately still is going to move toward what they feel is good and what they feel is right but along the way obviously you're going to get caught in the muck right well that's why i was talking about like a relative idea of good because Obviously, it's going to be relative, but we can agree in the relative sense of good that uh, murdering others is not that. But the person who is murdering the other person feels that is good at the moment. That is the best thing for them to do. So, you know, that kind of gets all twisted up. So, I mean, even the question itself, I guess, is already steeped too deeply in Judeo-Christian values because what we, our perspective of good is a certain thing. But that being said... I think there is a type of goodness that we can connect to that is higher than ourselves, and then a goodness that you can connect to that is even higher than that, which is that everything, even that which you perceive to be bad, is also good. Um, 
but I think we kind of hashed that out. You get kind of what I was saying. Basically, the idea is that I think kids are savages until they are given an instruction manual to begin to find what's good. And clearly, I'm biased at, to our relative idea of good in the Western culture. But I think there are, even across all cultures, at least some aspects of them that all align. Exactly. And maybe that's where when we can find our shared good, then we can ultimately, as a species, ascend to that next level of good or love or whatever it happens to be. But, man, how do you, how do you start that journey? I mean, fuck, do you, do, you have to, do you have to renounce yourself as an American or something? Because like, look at all, again, we, we can look at all these individual things that if you zoom into, there's so many problems. And I think every country can do that. Every civilized society, every society, civilized or not, can do that. And man, it just seems like, to me, it's, dude, it, it's amazing enough that we as millions, billions of people are coexisting in the way that we are, where like we have this world trade system, you know, we have this world travel system i was on a plane and went to a different country recently for the very first time ever um and it was just so crazy to me that like from country to country we just have this system of airports that works you know it's a crazy structure yeah this whole we we are i feel like we're innately working toward a unity but again we just got this muck in the way man that just keeps us shackled and see, it, the interesting thing is, is that there is such beauty in our differences as well. You don't want everyone to be the same, you know? You don't want everybody to be vanilla. Um, so it, it's like a weird place we're in where we want to be united, but we want to celebrate our differences as well. And I think, like you said, how do we get to that point? And I think, you know, it seems oversimplified and maybe biased to me, but I think, you know, we have... A, like a master key in psychedelics and just our consciousness alone. Um, we have a cheat code. That's what I felt like when I smoked DMT. I was like, this is like a cheat code to reality. Like it just made me like omnipotent for a moment. Like I was just like suddenly like I get it all. It just, it was like a cheat, cheat code, man. It was crazy. Um, but my point is the psychedelic, I think what they can do which would change these things is evolve our as a collective evolve our understanding of the self of who we are what the ego is and understand the ego as a tool and not identify with it so we can have a higher understanding of what we are i think that is the thing that a psychedelic can do cuz we are we are all just trapped in identifying with the ego and that's deep down all we care about until we can surpass that i think it can be achieved um if you know you if you have this teaching you know you start it early and then you know bring in the use of these substances and you have a goal to reach that understanding make that you know the goal of humanity of each human being the goal is to come to a higher understanding and you know that's something i believe that can be done once we are at a level like we are now, where our survival needs could all be met with just some cooperation. I think what the psychedelic experience does that you described is it allows you to parse out and identify uh, those aspects of the higher good that we all share and that we need to exemplify in our relationships to one another. 
and I think, you know, the, the biggest part of that, and I think that the key to a harmonious earth and, you know, everything being aligned with that ultimate good is that as human beings, if we can find that and then identify with that truth, you can, you will no longer have the drive to ever hurt another person because inherently it would hurt you to do so because you have a deep understanding that that person is you. The other person that is sitting across from you that you feel any type of way toward that might lead to violence or just mistreatment, you have a deep understanding that they are you, that there is no separation. And I think that understanding, if, if felt and truly experienced and then expressed, that is, you know, that's what we should be striving for. Yeah, man, that's one of those those higher goods that I think all of us do share and that we can strive for. You know, there's a reason why we as Western Americans can go travel to South America, have an ayahuasca journey with a shaman that does not speak our language and is like the opposite culture of us and still get the healing messages that we all share. We, we get the same messages that the indigenous people get. We get the same messages that some Russian guy will get across the world or some Chinese person. You know, all of us, no matter what culture we come from, if we take a psychedelic with the right set and setting within a space that can be held for these experiences in, in a profound and correct way, then we can all join together in these higher motivations and higher lessons, you know, whatever the higher good is, and we can identify what it is we need to work on in order to progress ourselves as a collective, I think. And that's why I think that a rebranding of psychedelics, because to me, uh, psychedelics are a metaphysical tool. It's like uh, psychedelics are something you use that connects you to truth. Not chocolate? No? <laughs> Well, it could be chocolate, really. <laughs> um, but it's something that connects you to that truth. Like you said, people from all over the globe can have uh, the same uh, teachings occur in their psychedelic experience. And that that is what is true. That's the definition. It is true by its nature then. And people, I hope, will begin understanding that these tools, these psychedelics, are something that should be used to align with truth. It should be an educational tool, a metaphysical tool, um, not just something to be taken very lightly.